Hi, my name's Aaron Orlando. I'm a creative director at uh, Revelstoke Mountaineer Magazine and RevelstokeMountaineer.com. Um, I'm uh, on the phone with Nick Arkel, who is uh, CEO of the Gorman Group and, and also CEO of uh, Downey Timber, uh, Selkirk Cedar, which is a, a, lo a local mill uh, based here in Revelstoke, two separate operations in the, the area right down by the Greenbelt. Um, Nick, uh, thanks for taking some time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Aaron. So, Nick, first thing is, um, I wanted to just get a little background. As you know, we have uh, uh, you know lots of people coming and going, and uh, uh, in the community. And uh, for somebody with no background on sort of what Downey is, um, can you give us a primer on its history and uh, current status? What's what's going on with Downey now? Yeah, so Downey uh, Timber is uh, I often refer to it as uh, a remand plant in sawmill clothing. Uh, this is a, a plant that um, extracts very high value uh, products and sends them around the world. Uh, it is one of the few large mills left in what we would call the wet belt, uh, which uh, the Rolstow Carrier is part of. And over the years, many mills have come and disappeared. Their names have changed. Uh, but there's a consistency to the Downey Timber operation. Um, Downey Street Sawmills is another name that people may be familiar with. Uh, we have been involved in that plant since 1990. Uh, we're a family-owned uh, and operated company. The Gorman Group is based out of West Kelowna. Uh, but over the last 70 years uh, since the company was founded, and it's still within the family, uh, we have slowly grown, uh, but the focus has always been on extracting very high-value products. We're very different to most mills in the province uh, that are producing a product the world wants, but they are what sometimes are loosely referred to as spaghetti mills, putting through very large volumes at very low cost to give the market what it wants, two-by-fours, two-by-sixes. Uh, we've chosen a niche uh, which we believe works for us, works for our uh, sort of modus operandi, and it is about high value, and the margin is created through extracting higher value versus just driving down costs. And we sell as a group into around 30 countries around the world. Uh, it's mainly repair and remodeling products, so this goes into the home finishing renovation market, whereas our mill in uh, the central Okanagan is very much around interior home finishing renovation, Downey Timber is very much about exterior home uh, finishing renovation products. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so, uh, Nick, um, really uh, what's driving our conversation today um, is, you know, provincial policy context. Um, last year, the or the government, the provincial government's been working on its uh, old growth uh, strategic review. Uh, last year in November, they announced some policy uh, changes, uh, sort of uh, unveiling the first steps of, of uh, their new directions on old growth. Part of that process in early November was to announce uh, deferrals. Uh, so that basically means um, setting aside certain areas uh, that would uh, not be harvested uh, for in the interim as they continue to work on their plans. So really, the first question I wanted to ask you in that context is, for Downey, what does that mean in the short term? Uh, what, 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 is, what has the impact been uh, for Downey? Okay, what I'll do is I'll back up a little bit because mm -hmm. it's all about adapting to change. And I think Downey has a, a great reputation of that. And I'll, I'll just give you a quick example, Aaron. Mm -hmm. When we purchased the mill back in 1990, we were producing 
um, hemlock uh, spruce products that were going into the Middle East. And then there was a Gulf War, uh, as we all remember. And so we were no, no longer able to uh, utilize that market. So we started selling into the United Kingdom and, and Europe. But again, it was hemlock, it was spruce, it was fir. Um, and then there was a... Uh, a non-tariff uh, trade barrier that was put up called the Pinewood Nematode. And so we could no longer sell into Europe uh, because they were accusing something coming in on the wood uh, to th that part of the world. And so we went into Japan and then the Japanese market went into a turmoil. And so we started um, selling mainly, actually at that point, we went to 100% cedar. And uh, so we were producing products again into North America, into the United Kingdom, but it was all cedar. And then we had that U.S. housing collapse uh, back in, was it 2008? And it was, you know, we've got to look at the whole profile of this forest and uh, come up with a design for a mill that, again, is going after high value, heavy investment, uh, but it utilizes the mixed species of this particular forest. But cedar is, is a major part of that. Um, you know, 60% of what we put through the mill would be uh, would be cedar products. So when the announcement came along, so that gives you an indication mm -hmm. of the, the flexibility, um, operational flexibility that Downey has shown it has the capacity to handle. And that means the people, and it means the community, and it means the, the investment. Government came in with an all-growth announcement, and governments do what governments do for you know the, the reasons they do it. <laughs> and there has been a lot of interest in this area over over the years. It's tied in also with uh, things that they're taking on, um, such as uh, DRIPA, you know, Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have to combine all these things, I think, at this point. It's not just about old growth, but it's how we come up with an old growth strategy uh, going forward. When you put all that together, it leads to um, uncertainty. And this is where the impact is on downy timber. It's, you know, what does the future look like? Um, what kind of volumes are going to be available to us? Uh, what's going to be the cost of accessing uh, those volumes? Mm -hmm. And this really comes back to uh, working together as a community, uh, coming up with community decisions. Um, we know that the public is wanting to see business having a lighter impact, lighter footprint uh, on the ground, and it's how do we do that in a way that is acceptable. And it's all always about balance. Mm -hmm. So the immediate impact, though, before we get there, is that we still need to have trees coming into a mill to produce lumber products and employ the people that we, we have to do that. And therefore, you need to know where that wood's going to come from. And so there's a, there's a very extensive and complicated um, planning process that goes into designing those cut blocks, mm -hmm. then the harvesting of those cut blocks, the building of the roads, the putting into the bridges, and the Revelstoke area is a very expensive place to do that. Now, I, I n never believe there's total 100% certainty, but what we do need is predictability. And we don't have that right now. So the old growth strategy, as much as the design and the or the uh, the end result is where I think uh, we, we all know where we want to get to, which is there has to be a balance on the land base and some old growth has to be protected because it's very special. Does that mean all of it? That's still to be figured out, um, but I don't believe it does. It believes that we, we, we need to find out which areas really do need to be protected. 
but we have a lot of permits that have been going through the planning process um, or approved for harvesting that do overlap in some of these areas uh, that have been identified for deferral. Mm. And so that means we won't be able to go into those areas. Well, that means we don't have other areas to go to. So we've done calculations to look at what are the short-term impacts on the company, and we believe we have about a year and a half worth of wood that is developed and ready to go, but is also impacted by deferrals. And so it's it's critical um, that we understand where can we go in the short term that might well overlap with some of the uh, the deferral areas. But keeping in mind, these deferrals will just want to be discussed. It doesn't mean that they get protected. Some will, some won't. Some will be protected with modified practices or allowed to harvest with the modified practices. So it's trying to understand where those areas are going to be. Until we get to that point, we've got that uncertainty. So long-winded way of saying short-term impacts is it's the uncertainty or the unpredictability about where we can go to harvest timber um, over the next couple of years while we develop those longer-term plans, which hopefully will reach the balance that people want to see. Well, well, okay, great. Thank you so much. And I wanted to 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 move on to those longer term ones. So, you know, if I can summarize really quickly, the the provincial government um, in November um, un- again un- unveiled their plan and and um, uh, asked for a response from First Nations. They provided a one month period and, and got a limited response. But then in, at the start of April, on April first, uh, they updated on uh, how that um, uh, communication, government to government communication, was going with. Uh, First Nations groups, uh, uh, basically saying they had a lot more who had uh, provided responses. And I wanted to, to read out a quote from, from that April 1st uh, state, uh, statement from the government. They said, the old growth strategic review, logging deferrals are a temporary measure to prevent irreversible biodiversity loss, while the province, First Nations and other partners develop a new long-term approach to old growth management that prioritizes ecosystem health and community resiliency throughout BC. So uh, that was their statement then. So what I want to know from from Downey's perspective, as as you engage in that uh, sort of uh, long-term planning, what will you be advocating for through that process? What what is your perspective on this? So we've been working for a long time on on relationships with the Indigenous bands that we we work alongside uh, in the Okanagan, um, they've taken a different approach uh, to the deferrals uh, than others in the province. Uh, and we have a very, I would say, um, rigorous and uh, formalized process of working with them on where we harvest, how we harvest. And, and they're, they're quite familiar with the, the plans that are being developed. I would say it's not as um, advanced up in the Shuswap through to Revelstoke area, but that is what we're working on right now. So we have spent um, quite a bit of time over the last year meeting with the various bands. Um, sometimes the, the key people within those bands change, and so you know, sometimes these processes can take longer than you, than you hope, um, but it's important that we do it right. And so we're also asking them, how can you work with us alongside us how can we work with you alongside you uh, to come up with something that works because what we hear back from them almost i would say a hundred percent is that they are interested in the communities that we operate in 
Um, they are concerned about uh, economic health as much as they're concerned about ecosystem health. So there is a great appreciation for there needs to be that balance. They just want to be part of and leaders in finding that balance. And we are 100 uh, percent in support of that. And so it really is about getting First Nations with us. Uh, looking at the local data, um, using um, indigenous knowledge, getting the experts, um, sitting down together and figuring out how we can identify what really are meaningful deferrals and not just a blanket deferral on anything that has a, a color on a map. Um, so that's what it's about, is building those long-term all-growth strategies uh, for the ecosystems uh, that we have in the Revelstoke area but being very much indigenous and community-led. And that's the process we're actually working on right now is bringing together that group. It has to be a group that recognizes that it's the balance we're looking for. It can't be a single interest sitting at a table only fighting for that interest. And I always feel that it has to be people that are accountable to the end result as well. If there is going to be a major change in the Revelstoke area for whatever reason, and that has an impact on our mill, for instance, uh, which then has an impact on the community. It has to be well understood why that decision was made, what the pros and cons of that decision were, and the people are accountable for that, uh, for the outcomes of that. A key issue for um, the community community members here in Revelstoke uh, is employment at the mill um, and also uh, employment and economic activity that it generates outside of the mill. You know, from from Downey's perspective, you know, what are the key, you know, issues that are going to impact that sustainability of employment, uh, of of the operation of of an employment? And for somebody who's, um, you know, working at the mill or working in an associated um, industry, uh, you know what is what is the the road ahead? What what do you what are, what are they going to be seeing? What what do you say to them about uh, what the the near term future, the next few years and beyond holds? Yeah, and I, I think it, it goes back to the comments about working with the community. When you've got a community and you've got indigenous leaders, understand that we're also looking for a stable economic. Uh, environment as well. Uh, I think we'll get to the end result we're wanting to get to. Downey Timber just needs, as I mentioned earlier, predictability. We need Mm -hmm. to know what that flow is going to be, when it's going to be, what that profile is going to look like. And you can do that through long-term planning. So it's got to be people that understand we're sitting down to come up with long-term plans so the mill can make investment decisions around that. Investment decisions are important because that's what allows you to do more from less and it allows you to extract um, high value um, from less as well. Um, you know, we've spent in the last 10 years on that plant, I think it's in the range of $50 million, but I know since we purchased it, it's in, in the range of 140 to $150 million, but that's all been directed towards producing these high value uh, products. The reason why we're going after high value products, because we believe that does allow you to still run a very efficient mill Uh, with less volumes going through it. And we've even gone to the point where we are producing things like planter boxes, um, uh, fish planks. Um, So we're going down right to the retail level as well um, to extract, um, you know, full value uh, from from the resource that we're allowed to access. Mm -hmm. So my message always to employees is we're not in the business of shutting down mills. 
Uh, we're in the business of running mills, um, but we do need to have access to fiber to do that. Um, that needs to be done in a balanced way. It needs to be done in a way that, that is the, the light footprint, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it needs to be, in a sense, it's addressing that whole social license piece, uh, which is what we hear a lot of now. You can have all the approvals in the world to harvest a, a cut block, um, but if you don't have the community support, then you don't have any support. And so it's how do we how do we get that? So it's important for our employees to know that you know we need the community behind us. Uh, we need people believing in what we're doing is. Uh, is what people want to see from the forest industry. And we believe, uh, while we need that blend, you do need those spaghetti mills, as I mentioned earlier, because there's a large part of the market that wants that product. But I do believe we add the diversity. In a sense, we are the diversity in the industry. Mm. And Revelstoke has that. And that's our strength. So to our employees, it's always, we're in a niche that uh, we have um, a good reputation in. We have a great brand name in. And uh, we want to work with indigenous groups, community, to come up with a long-term plan that allows us to make long-term decisions. That's what we're striving for, and that will give the security to the company and our involvement in the community. Okay. Nick, I wanted to ask a couple follow-up questions on what you said there, um, and just two more questions for the interview. One of, one of the things that you said uh, you, you're going to need is fiber supply, and that's always been um, an, an issue here uh, in uh, the Revelstoke area, as well as in other places. Har- you know, uh, for example, environmental groups uh, last week were talk uh, issued a media release uh, that was specifically critical of Downey uh, for um, harvest, uh, as they say, harvesting in in deferral areas, that kind of uh, uh, in the Wood River area, um, and so. The key issue uh, often is with that old growth is, you know, do you, do you need that for supply? So I guess what I want to ask is like harvesting in the area has been described as reliant on uh, old growth forests um, in the short term. Um, do, do you feel that's accurate? And um, can you manage through that when you're looking at a five year or a 10 year uh, path forward? Will you have will you have that fiber supply? I think, uh, and again, I didn't want to get into, and don't want to get into a number game because it's almost, yeah. you know, the, the philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the numbers will always get challenged, and mm-hmm. the numbers will will change over time as as they get fine tuned. Um, but I was asking one of our foresters recently um, if, over the next two years, uh, because they're the permits that are approved, and we can't just suddenly start developing permits now that take two years to get a road into and hope Mm. we can log it next month. That's just not realistic. Mm. Um, And we can't just shut the mill down for two years while we just develop permits and put in roads to get access to them in two years' time. Um, That's not realistic. So there are some permits right now that have deferral overlaps on them. Mm. Um, There are permits that we have walked away from and said, we're not going to go into those, but these ones we do need to go into. We've tried to minimize that as much as possible. So the question I did ask was, if we harvested any those permits that we say we need to go into right now because they've already been approved or they've got road access into them, Mm Could you tell me what impact that would have on the old growth in this area um, that's been identified? And they tell me that it would be 0.6 of a percent. All right, so, so you're saying that over the next two years, we're asking people to buy into a plan and support a plan that allows us to continue harvesting in some of 
the portions of deferrals, knowing that we've already given up um, a lot, hmm. um, not only to deferrals for um, uh, old growth, but also uh, caribou moratoriums mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'll, I'll give you some numbers in a moment that you might find quite startling. Um, but they tell me it's about 0.6 of a cent. And I go, okay, so what's been identified as critical old growth areas, um, we're not going to have a big impact on that with a balanced plan that gets us through the next two years mm-hmm. while we develop a much longer-term plan that hopefully will address more of these sensitive ecosystems. So here's the number I think is interesting. We have the ability to harvest through our license around 180,000 cubic meters in the Revelstoke area, but we've only been able to get access to about 120 of that due to moratoriums and due to other things, whether it was uh, um, just economic constraints or whether it was caribou, uh, but those are things that we've, uh, we've adjusted to over the last few years. So should be 180, we're actually um, only logging 120. With the old growth strategy we have looking, we're looking at right now, it, it comes down to more like the 65,000 cubic meter range. Th- those are huge impacts that we're now having to try and adjust to. Some of the comments I've had back are, why don't you just go somewhere else and harvest somewhere else? Revelstoke is already a major net importer of logs. We bring most of the logs into that mill from outside the area. In fact, only something like 18% of the logs that go through the Revelstoke mill actually come from our license area. Mm-hmm. So we rely heavily on RCFC. We rely heavily on buying from the BC timber sales. Uh, we rely heavily on bringing in logs from other mills, whether they're in the Okanagan, whether they're over in the Kootenays. Um, sometimes we have to exchange product. So we'll exchange veneer or we'll ex- exchange... Um, logs to get the right log back. We have a myriad of trading relationships to get the right log into uh, to, into the Revelstoke mill to produce what we, we need to produce. Um, so going back, to, we've already got many, many constraints on us. We're already pulling many strings to try and get the right log into the mill to make it successful. But if we just keep hitting away at it and saying, well, you can't go there, you can't go there, you can't go there, there isn't going to be anything left. And then you can't run a mill. So that's where it comes back to you have to have the balanced approach. It has to be people that recognize it's got to be balanced. And we need a bit of what I call a breathing space right now while we develop those really long-term plans where we can come up with, you know, this is what this operation is going to look like for the, the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking for, the made in Revelstoke solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it should be pointed out, Nick, that um, the caribou recovering uh, uh, caribou recovery plan uh, process is ongoing, and that is um, uh, uh, something that you know is geographically uh, added on to our our area. It's uh, another uh, process uh, that uh, adds a layer of complexity to uh, to uh, I guess decisions in the in the backcountry here. So, Nick, um, so I wanna I wanna um, um, end with one last question and, and mm-hmm. point some things out here and that oftentimes um, I feel like the focus uh, in these decisions is, is on the provincial government which you know you know oversees decisions on on forest policy um, uh, you know one of the things the the, the entire uh, old growth process is looking at is, is better uh, indigenous governments government relationships uh, uh, you know you know there's the, the provincial government is you know actively saying we're shifting the, the decision making to 
to First Nations governments, but in, in the conversations that we have about so so as a result, the conversations that we have about uh, forest policy often you know focus on Victoria and what the, what they've said or what they've unveil, unveiled. However, um, I wanted to look back into a little bit of local history here um, in that. Um, for example, Downey was closed for a while in the 1980s, and it was uh, quite a, a, a blow to the community at the time. You know, a lot of people were out of work. There's, there's, there was a lot of local uh, and regional, but especially local community response to that. Uh, the, the food bank here has, has its genesis in that closure, uh, supporting people who, you know, had economic uh, um, challenges uh, right away. Um, and over the years, there's been other um, local responses to uh, various uh, forest industry related challenges such as uh, Revelstoke Community Forest Corporation which was uh, which is owned by the city uh, they bought a tenure um, uh, to um, you know one way of putting it is better manage local fiber supply um, our, our Revelstoke Community Energy Corporation RCEC operates uh, mm-hmm. uh, wood um, waste uh, um, burn uh, they burn wood waste in a facility that's right down on the the downy land there to heat uh, local schools, the rec center, some buildings downtown, and these these are all locally developed um, uh, responses. And and in fact, RCEC part of that was to deal with the pollution. Uh, you know, before Revelstoke had the, like everywhere else had the beehive burners, which were uh, a source of local air pollution. So my question to you is, you know, looking back at that history. What, you know, what does Downey have in terms of asks or needs for local uh, or regional organizations uh, in terms of, um, you know, dealing with uh, some of the issues and and sort of continuing that path uh, forward? I I think we've we've always had a lot of support from the community. Uh, I think back to the days of Jeff Battersby when he was the mayor. And I remember saying when Jeff retired um, that uh, I spoke, you know, thanking him for his, his period as mayor and said that, uh, you know, there's old, that old African proverb, it takes a, a village to raise a child. And I said, well, it takes a community to run a forest company as well. And, uh, and I really believe that. Uh, I believe Revelstoke has been a huge part of um, helping make Downey successful. I mentioned right back at the beginning that that whole area has been really a graveyard of the forest industry. You can see many mills scattered around, you know, over to Donald, um, even where you know big mills were there and they're gone. And but somehow we've survived through all the constraints, all the pressures in a very tough area, very high cost area uh, to operate in the province because of of that community support. RCFC was it was a class example. Um, the, the mayor at that, well, Jeff at that time, really pushed for a community forest, um, but it was a community forest to, to actually harvest timber, not to put aside. Um, it was to, you know, obviously protect for other values as well, um, but it was also to help uh, the, the community and, and give a benefit to the community. Um, RCEC, um, very forward thinking, beehive burners uh, were phased out. Um, government very very uh, draconian in that it was they're going to be gone by a certain date and there, there was sort of a phase out of different areas of the province could go at different times uh, but there was a deadline uh, you have to have it gone and so RCEC was set up it was although it was actually set up originally to take bark but um, but that didn't uh, you know take what we call hog fuel uh, mm-hmm. the bark off the trees uh, but unfortunately it ended up being um, not able to operate with bark and so now we've got uh, sort of shavings kind of uh, being burned in it 
But again, that shows it, it, it goes to the, the nature of a community working together with this local industry. And that has been huge for us. It's been huge to know that when you're putting an investment into, and as I mentioned earlier, the $150 million since the purchase in, in, or the own, you're coming into ownership in 1990, um, you, you get security doing that because you know you've got the, the community on board. We're now going into a new phase. The, the world keeps changing uh, people's views towards a public resource, which they have every right to have a, a view towards because it is a public resource um, that keeps changing as well and it goes back to the term social license that I used earlier um, we have to work with our communities we have to work with our indigenous leadership and, and communities uh, to come up with that balanced plan for the future because it's too important uh, not to get right and so let's come up with a process that, that gets us as close to right as possible, if not 100% there. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Arkel is the CEO of the Gorman Group, as well as the CEO of uh, Downey and Selkirk, uh, uh, mills that are based in uh, Revelstoke here. Um, uh, Nick, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking some time to talk to me about the issues today. Yeah, no, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for, as I said at the beginning, the, the invitation. And uh, I'd like to say that any time uh, you'd like to talk to us because we've made a commitment that we want to be open and transparent. And uh, people can challenge us on our numbers and we'll be quite prepared to, to respond to them. And if we're wrong, we'll, we'll adjust them. And so we, we are open to, to that debate, that conversation. But the conversation is important. We have to get in the room and talk because... Right now, what I sense in the province is we've got too many people talking past each other instead of sitting down and actually trying to uh, try and talk together. And I think that's going to be critical to make this successful in Revelstoke. Mm -hmm. uh, th thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much.